Here we are. This is message 13. 13 through the book of 1 John entitled Vital Signs. We're looking at all the signs that show we have eternal life. That is the theme of this whole book. 1 John, it's there in your notes. Chapter 5, verse 13 gives us the stated purpose of the whole book. I write these things to you who believe, so he's writing to believers, John is, in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. The whole book was written to give us assurance, confidence that we, in fact, possess everlasting life. How do you know you have physical life? This morning, you're looking at someone next to you. Their skin looks like it's alive. They're breathing. Their pulse rate, that tells you you have physical life. How do you know you have spiritual life? There are 13 signs that show, spiritual signs that show you have eternal life. And we've been studying those. We're getting to the 13th this morning. Let's just review. So far, we've looked at 12 of them. Fellowship. All Christians experience fellowship with God and one another. Walking in the light. All Christians walk in the light, not in the darkness. Christ-likeness. All Christians resemble Jesus to a degree. Spiritual growth. All Christians grow spiritually, loving not the world. All Christians contain or possess an anti-love for the evil system of this world. The Holy Spirit's anointing. All Christians are indwelt by the Holy Spirit who speaks to them. A purifying hope. All Christians possess a hope that purifies their lives. Doing what is right. All Christians grow more and more in doing what is right and less and less, as time goes on, in doing what is wrong. Loving like Jesus. All Christians love like Jesus to a degree. Testing of the spirits. All Christians test the spirits, teachers, false teachers, to make sure they are of God or not of God. There's a discernment, in other words. Loving one another. All Christians love other Christians and belief. All Christians believe in Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And this morning we come to vital sign number 13, which is this, spiritual confidence. Can you repeat that after me? Spiritual confidence. So what are we saying? I mean, how do you know you have eternal life? The answer is you will possess a type of confidence spiritually, that only Christians possess. A non-Christian, someone who does not have eternal life in them, will know nothing of the spiritual confidence we're going to talk about. If you're a Christian, you have eternal life in you, this which I'm going to describe this morning out of the book of 1 John will describe the spiritual confidence you have in five ways. So let's go ahead and read about this, this spiritual vital sign, because when you're given eternal life as a gift from God, there's a supernatural spiritual confidence that's, that's literally placed within your being. And you're no longer the person you used to be. You now walk with a spiritual confidence that comes from God. Now, I want you to notice as we read this last portion of the book of 1 John, notice the phrase, this is the confidence. And notice that seven times in these verses, the phrase comes up, we know. Notice, starting in verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of Him. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray that God will give him life. 
I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that he should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is a sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in in him who is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Now, what are we going to do this morning? We're going to give you five areas of spiritual confidence that are true of all Christians. If you're a Christian, you have eternal life. All five of these areas of spiritual confidence will be something you're going, yep, I experienced that. Number one is this. We have confidence in our eternal life. See, you don't have to convince a Christian that they have eternal life. If truly a person is born again by the Spirit of God, they know deep within that they have eternal life. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes, truly believes in Him, will not perish, but you have everlasting life. That is, eternal life is a gift God gives all to those who believe. Eternal life is a quantity of life where you live forever with God in heaven one day. It's also a quality of life where God's life comes into your being. Now, there are two main ways that a true believer knows they have eternal life. And the first, we've kind of already talked about uh, in 1 John, but it's the internal witness of the Holy Spirit. That's the first main way you know that you have eternal life. The Holy Spirit inside your life is speaking to you, encouraging you, reminding you that, in fact, you have eternal life. 1 John 3, 24 And this is how we know that he lives in us. How do you know God lives in you? You're a believer. We know it by the spirit he gave us. If you're a believer, you have eternal life. The Holy Spirit, one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit, the internal presence of God who lives within you, is he's convincing you all the time. You're a believer. You have eternal life. Even Romans 8 is there in your outlines. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. What's the second way we know that we have eternal life? the external evidence of spiritual vital signs. Look at 1 John 5.13. I write these things. John begins with our text this morning. I write these things. That's the whole book. To you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. In other words, John's saying, I've written to you this whole book. The whole book gives external evidence that should be true in your life that points to your salvation. In other words, as your life manifests these 13 traits, these 13 evidences, you know you have eternal life. There's objective truth to verify the fact that you are a Christian. What are those 13 things? We just read them earlier, but fellowship, walking in the light, Christ-likeness, spiritual growth, loving not the world, the Holy Spirit's anointing, a purifying hope, doing what is right, loving like Jesus, testing the spirits, loving one another, belief, spiritual confidence. That is the evidence. How does a person know they have eternal life? You got to look at that and say, that's me. That's me. If you look at those 13 things and you're like, that's not me, you don't have eternal life. You're not a Christian. The evidence that we're a Christian have eternal, those 13 things is just kind of ringing off the monitor. Beep, beep. You know, spiritually, you know that's true about you. Wow. Yesterday, 
I had a really interesting experience. Tracy and I went to my most favorite place in the whole world, Stone Ridge Mall. <laughs> and we went there to do my most favorite thing in the whole world, golf. I mean, no, excuse me, uh, shop for dresses, for Tracy's dress. So start off at Nordstrom, you know, go to the top, not there, and we keep going, going store after store. Are you with me, man? You've been there before. You're at this point praying and fasting that God will lead you to victory. Finally, I go, let's just try JCPenney. Let's just try it. We go up to JCPenney, take the escalator up. On these racks, way in the corner, we find two dresses, just like, I'm like, thank you, Jesus. We take these dresses, and we walk over to the fitting room, and I can't believe this fitting room. It was awesome. You walk over there, the ladies in line, you know, they're always in line, right, okay? And, uh, and, and there's one chair, though, facing the fitting room, and I'm like, thank you, Jesus. I sit down. Quiet. Tracy's standing in line. She's got her two dresses. She walks in, try the first dress on. It takes a while. And I, I, I'm thinking this is the best place in the world until all, all of a sudden, ladies start walking out with the clothes. And they're looking around, and they're facing me, and they're looking around for, you know, the husband or whoever, and they're not around. And I'm like, I'm not one to just be quiet. So I'm like, that is you all the way. I mean, at fits, it's amazing, and people are kind of listening to me. And then she gets, she's like, really? She goes, thanks. And she walks in, and all of a sudden, I'm like, I'm sitting there, and the next one comes out. I'm like, that is amazing. And she's like, and all of a sudden, the manager comes over. She goes, you are exactly what this store needs. You're hired. She hired me on the spot. And I said, I would love to sit here all day and just give love on these ladies. Because they all need love. They need encouragement. And she's like, bring it, brother. The next one comes out. And I saw that her like, friend had a, a warrior's outfit on. And I, and I looked at her. I go, that's amazing. You could wear that to a warrior's game. She went, are you serious? I go, yeah, look, it fits you great. She walks back in. Tracy comes out with her first dress on. I go, Tracy, that is awesome. That's beautiful. Everyone's kind of listening in. And she goes, well, I got one more. I go, well, try that one on as well. So she disappears. Other ladies come out. I'm encouraging them. I got a crowd around me now. All of a sudden, Tracy comes out with the second dress on, and you know everyone's wondering, what is he going to say? And I say, wow, honey, that is equally absolutely beautiful. She's like, well, what should I do? I go, you got a decision to make because they look both dynamite on you. So she walks back into the dressing room, and then I can tell everyone's kind of, I'm sitting in my throne, you know, right there. I can tell everyone's wondering, what am I thinking? And, you know, they're like, man, that guy settled out with the, I turned around, I looked at all of them, I go, that's how you do it. Why did I tell you that story? Because watch this. There are 13 dresses that ought to fit you and look great on you, and that's how you know you have eternal life. If these 13 things don't fit you, you got some trouble going on in your life. The Holy Spirit ought to be saying to you right now, you look great in those 13 evidences, and as you have that evidence and you wear it in your Christian life, guess what? Your confidence goes through the roof that you belong to God. That's why a Christian has confidence, because their Christian life matches up to what God says a Christian looks like in their spiritual evidence that's constantly emanating from their life. Are you with me? Say amen. amen. All right. Now, just 
I'm not working for J.C. Penney, just so you know. I want to make that clear. First area of spirit, you know, confidence. We, we have confidence in our eternal life because the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. And guess what? These 13 things just ring true. Second is this. We have confidence in answered prayer. Now, you don't have to convince a believer to pray, nor do you have to convince them that God hears their prayer and answers their prayer. Now, watch this. A non-Christian, they think prayer is wishful thinking. They think that's false hope. A non-Christian thinks prayer is ridiculous. So if you're here this morning and you think prayer is ridiculous, you're non, you're, you don't know Jesus. Because every Christian instinctively knows in their hearts they have confidence about prayer, that God hears them, God answers their prayers. That's something internally that God does in your life. You have that kind of spiritual confidence. Let me give you three facts about a believer's confidence with prayer. First of all, believers have confidence in approaching God. You see, the Bible portrays God as approachable. Look, if you would, at verse 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. You know, Jesus said this. He said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. You see, a Christian knows that. They can come to their heavenly Father. Hebrews 4 14 and 16, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. That's just normal Christian living. You can come before your heavenly Father with confidence to receive mercy and find grace in your time of need. I love the story of President John F. Kennedy and his little boy, John. And that little boy, John, as he ran around, John, John, ran around the, ran around the White House, the policy of the White House was my son, said John F. Kennedy, president, has access to me 100% of the time, anytime. If I'm in the Oval Office and he wants to come and see me, he can come in. That's the same way your heavenly Father is raising you. That's how God portrays himself. As a Christian, if you're born again and you read the Bible and the Holy Spirit is in you, you know instinctively you can come before your heavenly Father at all times, that his arms are always open wide to you. That is your confidence. Second, believers have confidence that all prayer asked in God's will is heard and answered. Again, an unbeliever has no confidence in that. But a believer has confidence that their prayers are heard and answered. Look at you at verses 14 to 15. This is the confidence we have. As believers, you have this in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. You see, a believer has confidence that God always hears their prayer. And furthermore, a believer has confidence that when they pray according to God's will, God hears that and will always answer that prayer. See, the key is this. When a believer prays in the will of God, which is not their will, that's why Jesus taught us to pray, thy will be done, God, your will, not my will. Because any prayer that we pray in God's will always gets answered 100% of the time. The only issue that's sometimes outstanding is God's timing. Let me encourage you. Maybe you never thought about this. Some of you have prayed dozens of prayers before in God's will, and guess what? Those prayers have been answered. All it is is a matter of God's timing now. God's saying, yes, that's a prayer according to my will. It is going to be answered, but, but child, the timing's not just right for your life right now. You have to trust me also for the timing. But a believer has absolute, total confidence And they should be growing in that confidence. And by the way, how do you grow in your confidence so that when you pray, you're praying in God's will and not your will? 
Simple. God's will is revealed in the Word of God. And the more you get to know the Word of God, the more you will begin to pray according to God's Word, which is His will revealed, rather than your will, which is oftentimes, not always, God's will. Hopefully that makes sense. You know, John then gives us a practical illustration showing us a prayer that is according to God's will and then a prayer that is not according to God's will. This is an illustration. Now, these verses provide a lot of uh, trouble for a lot of Christians, and there's a lot of debate about them. But I think the explanation is pretty simple. When you consider the plain sense meaning of these verses and you look at it within context of what John is saying. So let me read the verses, which I guarantee will confuse you initially. And then let me explain them, which I think will help you. Look at verses 16 and 17. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that he should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is a sin that does not lead to death. Okay, you all understand that, so let's just skip that and keep going, all right? Let me give you the principle that I believe these verses are teaching and then explain the principle. I think this is the easiest way. Principle is this. Believers have confidence to pray because that's the context, confidence in prayer. You always interpret Scripture in light of the context. Believers had confidence to pray about a believer caught in a sin except for an unbeliever caught in the sin that leads to death. Now, let me explain that. Let's read the verses again, and let me do some explaining as we go along. Look at verse 16. If anyone, now the anyone here is a Christian. The whole book is written to Christians. If anyone sees his brother, a brother is a Christian. So here you are as a Christian, you're seeing another Christian commit a sin that does not lead to death. In other words, you see a Christian and they're involved in lying or cheating or stealing or some wrongdoing. And it says, he should pray and God will give him life. That is, we can have the confidence to pray in God's will for that person that God will give that believer life. That is, cleansing from that sin. There is a, a sense in which all sin... The wage of sin is death, that there's death, the destruction that comes even when Christians sin. But the cleansing, the life comes from 1 John 1, 9. If anyone confesses his sin, it's forgiven and cleansed. There's a cleansing that comes even to our lives as Christians when we sin, and that cleansing gives us life. And that totally corresponds with James chapter 5 that says, My brother, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner, and this is a Christian, a Christian sinner, from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Now, by the way, one of the greatest things we can do for a Christian who has wandered into sin is, watch this, to pray for them, not to gossip about them. And James is saying, this, or, or first John is saying, John is saying, this is the kind of prayer offered in faith that will bring life to a Christian who's sinning through confession, cleansing of sin, they will find that life, that renewed life that comes through confession. Now, question, what is the sin, though, that leads to death that John is referencing here? Well, look again at verse 16. He says, I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. Then he says, there is a sin, though, that leads to death. I'm not saying that he should pray about that. 
What's this saying? Well, let's say there's a person, now watch this, not a believer. And this person who's not, in a, believe, not a believer, he's caught in a sin that leads to death. You see, the only sin I know about in the Bible that leads to death is the sin of an un- unbeliever who is characterized by the sin of unbelief. Unbelief will ultimately lead to your spiritual and eternal death. Are you following me? That's the unpardonable sin, unbelief. And notice, John is not saying you can't pray for the unbeliever. Look closely at what John says there, right there. He says, I am not saying that you should pray about that person. In other words, with the confidence that God will answer your prayer. And what I really believe when you look at this passage in context, I believe John is referencing and has in mind the Gnostics, the false teachers the unbelievers who completely rejected Jesus as God in human flesh, those who had left the church, personally, that's how I take these who were participating in the sin that leads to death. I think John had in mind those individuals in that church, total unbelievers, who had just rejected Jesus as God in human flesh. They left the church, and John's saying, hey, you can pray for those people, but I'm not saying you necessarily should. They are so tied up in unbelief, that is the sin that will lead to their eternal death. That's my best answer based on the text. Now watch this. I need to share with you, there are a lot of scholars who disagree with with me on that, and I think I'm right, and I think they're wrong. But here's the great thing. One day, when you get to heaven, you can ask John what he meant with that whole passage and what he meant by that sin that leads to death. I think I got it right, but you know, I ultimately say, Lord, you uh, are, know all truth. But when I think the principle here, again, that summarizes that believers have confidence to pray about a believer caught in a sin, except for an unbeliever caught up in the sin that leads to death. All right. So we're talking about five areas of spiritual confidence that characterize all believers. We have confidence about our eternal life. We have confidence in answered prayer. Third, we have confidence in our spiritual protection. Now watch this. Believers have confidence that they're protected spiritually by God. Now you say, well, who does a believer need to be protected from? Well, the answer would be temptation and ultimately Satan and his demons. And I need to share with you, I'll be honest with you, there's times uh, that I sense the presence of I don't want to say Satan. I don't think Satan uh, messes with a small guy like me. I think his demons go after me. And there's times, especially when I'm on missions trips, where I'm deep into the enemy's territory, that I feel spiritual forces of darkness around me. Are there times I feel uh, fear? Yes, because I'm human. And immediately I begin reading Scripture, crying out to God, and God always delivers me. I have spiritual confidence that God will protect me no matter what and where I go. Deep down, I have that. doesn't mean at times I don't fear. I struggle. But I come to God, and I find my renewed confidence. Now, let me give you two truths about a believer's spiritual protection. Look at what at verse 18. It says this. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God, that's Jesus, keeps him safe, keeps a believer safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. So two truths about every believer's spiritual protection. First of all, Jesus keeps us safe from ongoing sin. 
That's what it's verse 8. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin because the one who's born of God, that's Jesus, keeps him safe. Jesus keeps me from ongoing, habitual, constant sin in certain areas. He's broken that chain, that power. And it's Jesus who protects us from that. We studied this early in 1 John 3, verse 9. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. You want to know why? Because Jesus protects you from that. If you're a believer, he protects you from ongoing sin. If there's ongoing, persistent, continual sin all the time without any confession, any change in your life, guess what? You're not a Christian. That's just not. A, you can't be a Christian and have that going on in your life. The Bible just says it right there. Do you see that? No one who was born of God will continue habitually always to sin without any remorse and confession and turning. Want to know why? Because Jesus is the one who protects you from that. That's why, you know, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. God gives us this way out. That's one of the ways that Jesus protects us. He is our deliverer. Second, Jesus keeps us safe from the devil. That's what verse 18 says. The one who is born of God, that's Jesus, keeps him safe, that's a believer, and the evil one cannot harm him. 1 John 4, 4, kind of similar to what, you know, we studied this earlier. It says, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. That is, the one who is in you, the Holy Spirit, is greater than the one who is in the world. That's the devil and his demons. Now, I could take you to the book of Job, but I think we're uh, pressed on time. I was going to do that, but here in the book of Job, you got a very godly man, and Satan comes to heaven, God's throne. And by the way, Satan right now and his demons have access to God's throne. Even right now, one day, about halfway through the great tribulation, Satan will be cast down to heaven and he will no longer have access to God's throne. But Satan is in God's throne. He's uh, accusing Job. And he says, look at this guy, Job. Man, God, you blessed him. You put a hedge around him. And God says, okay, well, consider my servant, Job. Why don't you go ahead and put him to the test? I'm going to show you how a true believer responds. And God says, you can touch anything that he owns, but you can't touch him. But, there's always a but. And with you and I as well, God is sovereign over our lives. He protects us. And he allows the enemy, Satan and his demons, certain ways to test us, but always puts limits on that testing, like with Job. Because he is our protector. Like MC Hammer sang that song, can't touch this. There's certain things that Satan and his demons can't touch in your life because God has put those limits. He knows your breaking point. And God will never test you beyond what you're able to handle. Mm, That's powerful. That's the protection, the power, the deliverance that God provides for those that belong to him who have eternal life. That's a vital sign. You have confidence in your spiritual protection. Wow. Sure, Satan may persecute and tempt and test and accuse, but God protects his children. He places limits on Satan's influence over our lives. Looking at five areas of spiritual confidence that characterize all Christians. We have confidence in our eternal life. We have confidence in the power of prayer. We have confidence in our spiritual protection. Fourth, we have confidence in our worldview. Now watch this. Uh, Believers have confidence 
in, in the worldview that they possess. Now, everyone and every person on the planet has a worldview. Our worldview is the lens through which we view the world. Now, there are all sorts of different worldviews out there. If you're a non-Christian, the worldviews, there's hundreds of different types of worldviews. If you're a Christian, you have a very set worldview, which we're going to talk about in a second. But, for example, uh, some people who are non-Christians, they view the world as materialists. That is, the world, is that what you exploit, you possess, you acquire? Others view the world as hedonists. They see the world as an opportunity to live for themselves. It's all about self-pleasure. That's a non-Christian worldview. Others, non-Christians, view the world as environmentalists. They see the world solely as something to preserve, to worship. Others view the world as an agnostic. They see the world, and as they see the world, they just aren't sure if there's a God. They're just not sure. Others see the world as an atheist. As they see the world, they conclude there is no God. There's dozens of worldviews. As Christians, we have confident certainty about a very simple biblical worldview that characterizes all believers. The core of this worldview is within your soul. God printed it there, especially when you came to know Christ as your Savior and Lord. And so if your worldview does not match this biblical worldview, you have to go, man, you have to ask yourself, are you born again? Is God alive in your life? Because he brings up a worldview and he he causes you to begin seeing the world different than a non-Christian. Christians are completely different than someone who isn't a Christian. And their worldview gives huge evidence of that. So the first, let me give you the first, you know, confident, certainty, biblical worldview that a Christian possesses. In this world, first of all, we see ourselves as a child of God. So let me just ask you, as you go through life, do you see yourself as a child of God? Look at verse 19. It says this, we know, again, this is what we have certainty, you know, we know that we are children of God, and the whole world is under the control of the evil one, but we know we're children of God. Do you know that you belong to God? Do you know that you're God's child? And because of this, we no longer belong to this world. We've been saved out of this world. We are God's children in this world. And if you know that, that just, it's just ringing off the hook. You're, you're a Christian. You have eternal life. First John 2, we talked about this earlier. Do not love the world or anything in the world. See, a person who's a child of God, they're not in love with the world. They, they may like the world, and that's all right. No, I'm not talking about, no, you know, if it's the evil part of this world, you don't like that. I'm talking about the birds and the trees and God's creation that's good. But then verse 17, the world and all its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. You realize you're a child of God. You're in this world that God's placed you here, and your, your goal is to do the will of God, to be obedient to God's will in this world. You're just passing through. Do you have that worldview? You're just passing through. This isn't your home. That is great evidence that you're born again, that you have eternal life. In this world, you see, a believer has confidence about who they are. We're born again. We're adopted into God's family. We're aliens and strangers on this planet. We're citizens of God's kingdom. We're part of God's family. The second part of the worldview is this. Not only in this world do we see ourselves as a child of God, but the second part is this. The rest of the world is under the control of the devil. I'm not saying that. That's what God says our worldview should be. Look, if you would, at verse 19. It says this. 
We know, again, this is what we have confidence of, that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the devil or the evil one. So in this world, we see ourselves as God's children, but we also see everyone else who is not a child of God is under the control or under the influence, literally, of the evil one. And the word whole there means everything. So as you watch the news, as you look at life, let me just ask you a question. Do you see yourself as a child of God, but do you see everything else, everyone else who isn't a child of God as under the influence of the devil? of the evil one. So when you look at politics, when you look at legislation that comes from even the highest court in our world, do you see where that is coming from? A a Christian, you see, sees that. It's not difficult for them to see. When you look at the media, do you see that as under the influence of the enemy who's everywhere? Nations. When you look at economics, you see that as being influenced by evil system of this world, dominated by Satan. When you, when you look at secular education, do you see that as under the influence of the enemy? When you look at your unsaved neighbors and unsaved friends and unsaved family members, do you see them as under the control of the enemy, under the influence of the devil? What does this make us do? Does this make us proud? No, it, it breaks our hearts. It makes us live a life like Jesus lived when he walked this earth. And when he saw the world, you know what the Bible says? There in Matthew 9, 36, when he saw the crowds, when he saw the world, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When you look at the world, when you look at what's going on in our culture, when you see people who are lost, when you see people marching for uh, positions in culture that are totally anti-God, Does that break your heart? It should. Because that's a person who's born again. They have compassion because they see people in the hands of an evil system that is being deceived. So while we're in this world, we're not of the world. We have a worldview that sees people who are without Jesus, regardless of who they are, as under the control of Satan. They're like sheep without a shepherd. They're like orphans without a loving father. Believers have confidence in this biblical worldview. In this world, we know who we are, children of God. In this world, we know who everyone else is under the control of the devil, lost like sheep without a shepherd, people drifting without a loving heavenly father. Is that you? If if that's your worldview, you know, if it's there in the core of who you are, that's because you have eternal life. God places that there. You can't place that there without God. You just can't. It's completely unnatural. It's supernatural. That's why these are supernatural spiritual vital signs that give evidence that something supernatural, God's life has taken residence in our life, and he's producing all these signs. You can't just make this happen. God has to make it happen in your life. And if this is your worldview, another, it's another area of spiritual confidence that gives evidence that you belong to the Lord. Let me give you a fifth area of spiritual confidence. Is this. We have uh, confidence in our purpose. Why why has God left us here? Believers have confidence about their purpose. What is our primary purpose? Verse 20. We know, again, here's something we know, also that the Son of God has come and he's given us understanding. That means spiritual understanding. Remember when the light came on? Oh, Jesus is God in human flesh. He died for me on the cross. He gave you that understanding. Why? So that we may know him who is true, that's Jesus, 
And we are in him who is true, that's eternal life, even in his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God in eternal life. What is our purpose? Simple, to know God and to make God known. That's it. To know the true God in eternal life and also to make the true God in eternal life known. We are in him who is true and we want everyone else to be in Christ who is true as well. We have discovered that through Jesus Christ, the true God and eternal life comes from Him, and we want everyone else to know that as well. That's why you go back to 1 John 5, 12, He who has the Son has life. We've discovered that. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. We now have Jesus, and because we have Jesus, we have that eternal life. And guess what? We just want to get to know that eternal life get to know that Jesus better, and we want to make that Jesus known everywhere, and we want to make that eternal life known everywhere. That's why, that's our purpose. If you, if you view your purpose as, well, just to make money, I want to live for myself, I want to have a good life, I want to have a great family, if that's the extent of your purpose, you're not born again. <laughs> I'm not sure what you are. That, that's just, that's, that's not a Christian. What's a Christian. There's a Christ that went to a cross so we would not have to go to hell forever. That's the greatest news, period. And we just want to get to know that God better. We want to worship him with all of our life. And we want to tell everyone else we know about the Jesus that changed our life and has made these vital signs just ringing off our hearts. And it's just like, I just want to know you, Jesus, and make you known. That doesn't mean we don't get sidetracked and distracted. It's not easy living in this world. But if in the core of your being that is not your purpose, you have to say, am I a Christian? But I'm telling you, I look around this room and I could point at every one of your lives and I'm going, that is the purpose. That's why you're alive. And I see it in your life. You're an example of this. And it's just jumping off the chart in most of your lives as I know you. But it's not me. It's, it's you that have to give evaluation of all these vital signs, beloved. And notice how John, he kind of wraps things up. It seems a little strange, but When you look at it in context, it makes true. Verse 21, the last verse, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. An idol is anyone or anything that would keep us from knowing God and making God known. So question, is there anyone or anything in your life that's seeking you, seeking to keep you from knowing God or making God known? That's an idol. And you know what John says? Beware. Keep yourselves from that person. Keep yourselves from that thing. Because that's an idol, and it will undermine your purpose. Hmm. You think about our world. Uh, We live in a world that is filled with so much uncertainty. Isn't it? You know, just so few guarantees. Economic uncertainty. I mean, who knows what the stock market's going to do? Who knows if there's going to be another housing crash here coming up? I mean, who knows? There's uh, relational uncertainty. People come and go. Sometimes their faithfulness lasts only as long as their felt needs are being met. Relational uncertainty. There's uh, political uncertainty. What political structure is going to fall next? What institution of God will be challenged next? What law of man will raise up in defiance to the unchanging law of God? So man's Supreme Court changed the definition of marriage. I have news. There is a Supreme Court much higher than man's Supreme Court. Yeah? 
you know? That's God. Do we think? I don't know. I woke up this morning and I read my Bible. Boy, my Bible hasn't changed. God's law hasn't changed. God's definition of marriage hasn't changed. Marriage before God is one man, one woman, one lifetime, period. So it breaks my heart. I'm saddened by what's happened. I'm not shocked because this world is under the control of who? And it's just spinning out of control. Does that make us arrogant and proud? It breaks my heart. It breaks the heart of God. It causes us to pray. And I think it's going to wake up a lot of Christians to say, I need to start now taking a stand for truth because there's a lot at stake. And those Supreme Court justices, oh my, I pray for their souls to take on the blessed covenant institution of marriage. Nothing has changed with God, but his compassion, his heart is broken. Wow, oh Lord. So much uncertainty. There's global uncertainty. I mean, what's the next massive disaster that's going to take place? Is it going to be a hurricane, an earthquake, a tornado, a fire, a flood? But isn't it great, in the midst of all this uncertainty, God gives us five things we can be absolutely certain of. I think what an amazing way to end the book of 1 John. I mean, you talk about starting with an awesome beginning of fellowship and ending with five things absolutely we can be totally confident in. I love that. In the midst of a changing world, God doesn't change. And he says, believer, these are five things that characterize your life that you can count on. You can have confidence about your eternal life. Everything else may shift I won't shift. You possess that life. You can have confidence. I will answer your prayer when it's asked according to my will. You can have confidence. I will protect your life from temptation and the enemy, the devil and his demons. You can have confidence in that worldview. You are a child of God in this world and everything else, anyone who's not a child of God is under the control, the influence of the evil one, but there's victory in you Because greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. And guess what? You can have confidence in your purpose that you are here to get to know God better and make God known. If that isn't good news, I don't know what is, beloved. I just think that's an awesome way to just kind of begin to wrap up the book of 1 John. I want you to talk about this at your tables. Of the five areas of spiritual confidence we just talked about, which one are you just most grateful for, most thankful for? Talk about this at your tables. This morning we've looked at the 13th vital sign indicating we have eternal life. And that simply is, we will possess a spiritual confidence that indicates we have believed on Jesus, received his gift of everlasting life, and boop, boop, boop. You know, this is the vital sign that shows the 13th that we have eternal life. And we should put ourselves to the test. The Bible says, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? So you have to look at your life and say, hey, are all five of these areas? Because there should be a degree in which all five of these areas of spiritual confidence register in your life. Not perfectly, but that there is a degree of the reality of these five things in your life. Because that's what God does when you have eternal life. You have confidence of your eternal life. You have confidence in answered prayer. 
confidence in your spiritual protecting, confidence in your biblical worldview, confidence in your purpose. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this book, for our 13 weeks in study. Lord, we pray that you would grant us assurance of our everlasting life. And Lord, as we've learned this morning, if spiritual confidence in these five areas characterizes our lives, we can know for sure we have eternal life. Boy, if, you know, if we have confidence in our eternal life, in answered prayer, in our spiritual protection, in our biblical worldview, and in your purpose for us, we have evidence. We have confidence. We belong to you. We have eternal life. And if not, if these areas just aren't there, then great news. Let us believe on you today, Jesus. Receive your gift of everlasting life. Become your child and receive the spiritual confidence you alone give to all who believe. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're here this morning. You're going, I don't have that confidence. This world is so uncertain. Maybe you're watching on video right now. Maybe you've been listening this whole series and you've yet to put your faith, your trust in Jesus. You can do that right now. Ask him to be your Savior and Lord, forgive you your sins, truly change you from the inside out and allow all 13 of these spiritual evidences to begin coming alive in your life. You ask him for that gift and he'll do that miracle.